0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to Rolling Hills Online. Wherever you are in the world, we're glad that you're joining us today. In addition to our online campus, we have two physical locations in Franklin and Nolensville. If you're in the Middle Tennessee area, we'd love to meet you in person. If this is your first time joining us, we would like to invite you to check out our New Here page at rollinghillscommunity.org. Here, you can find out more about who we are, what we believe, and what to expect when worshiping with us. If you've been with us before and want to find out how to get involved, please visit our Next Steps page. This is where you can learn more about baptism, partnership, missions, community groups, and more. If you're joining us live, we encourage you to jump into our chat. This is a great way to connect with our online community and further discuss today's message. In addition to the chat feature, you will find today's sermon notes and a link to the Bible so that you can follow along. Have something that you would like for us to pray with you about? click the prayer request link at the bottom of the page. We would be honored to join you in prayer this week. If you feel called to partner with us financially, you can give online through the giving page of our website. Your support allows us to continue this opportunity to share the message of Christ around the world. So thank you. Again, welcome to Rolling Hills. We hope that you feel at home. time being not our friend, time going by, time not being kind to us, is something that we all understand. It is fleeting, and last week in chapter 1 and 2 of Ecclesiastes, we learned that it's really a vapor, and that everything under it is meaningless, and vanity, and doesn't have opportunities for us to learn and grow, because Everything is meaningless. In Ecclesiastes, it says that over and over and over again. And what it really means is that it's fleeting and that it passes quickly. And if we're going to find some sort of purpose in this life, we can't find it here on earth. We've got to go elsewhere because that phrase we exposed in our Bible study on Wednesday, "under the sun," it appears over 30 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. And what it tells us is that nothing in this life, nothing on this earth, matters without having a godly perspective. And and the book begins to take a turning point for us here a turning point that we need to find, a turning point where I'm committed today to find Jesus. It's God's doing something in my life. Um, and I, I feel like I should always be able to say that when I stand in this spot. And, and, and technically, I think that would be true. But There's something new and exciting happening in me the way that Scripture is pouring over me because I'm just being prompted and inspired and and called even to find Christ in every verse. And here's why. It's because I've always known that there can be arguments made against passages in the Old Testament that we no longer find to be true because of our current interpretations of them. And I know that a big argument, kind of pro that line of thinking, is saying to us, well, if Jesus didn't mention it in four isolated books of Scripture that we designate as the Gospels, then it must not be something that matters. But we can't limit the words of Jesus to those that are written and read, found in just four books, because He penned the whole thing. He was there from the very beginning, and Scripture tells us that everything that we can know about God finds its fullness in Jesus. And I'm starting out today not in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. If you have your Bibles turned to that, you can stay there. But I want to read Colossians chapter 1 because it frames for us the spot that we're going to be in today. In, in verse 15 of Colossians 1, it says, The Son, that's Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. We understand that Christ has been there from the beginning. John, if you want to go to the Gospels, tells us the same thing. In John chapter 1 it reads, In the beginning was the word, that's Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus was with God in the beginning, and Jesus was God in the very beginning. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things that were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. He's responsible for everything. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The life, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Skip down to verse 14. It says, the Word, that's Jesus Jesus who was with God in the beginning. Jesus who was God in the beginning. That Jesus became flesh. He put on skin. He he took on bones. He took on blood and sinew and organs and life and breath and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son. That's Jesus who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus has always been there. He's responsible for all of these words that we read, and he's responsible for all of our understanding of it. I'm calling this my Jesus year. It's because I'm 33. That's not true. I should have had my Jesus year a long time ago. but this is it because, because I want to see Jesus on every page. I don't want to just see Jesus on the pages where it's like, and Jesus went out to Capernaum where he's just obviously right there in front of us walking around on earth. I, I want to see Jesus in every hidden surprise, wow, I didn't know he was there kind of moment in scripture. I'm operating today out of the, the new Bible that just came out in January called the Jesus Bible. It's from Louis Giglio and the folks that put out in the Passion Conferences. And every single article, every single piece of commentary, every little side note all the way through it, it's just an NIV Bible, but it points us to Christ. And it shows us, it's like, ta-da, this verse that you didn't know was about Jesus because it doesn't mention Jesus is really about Jesus. And here's why Ecclesiastes chapter 3 is that for us. And and so my prayer today for all of us, myself included, is that you and I would be like surprised and excited and blown away by the fact that in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, a wisdom writer puts together a poem for us that ultimately tells us about God's son, Jesus Jesus, we pray today to you. You are God from everlasting. You are God here today. And Jesus, we want your words to make sense, and we want your words to teach us who you are. Forgive us, Jesus, when we limit your words to four simple books, when you are present in the whole thing. We know that to limit you is to deny the fact that you are God. God. And so today, Jesus, we tell you that you are holy. We tell you that you are supreme. We tell you that you are. We tell you that you are. And we ask that you, by the supernatural power of your Holy Spirit, would teach us better who we should be and also the things that we should believe because of you. It's in your name that we pray today. Amen. Augustine says that You made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they can find their rest in you. I think we're going to go to a difficult passage of Scripture, one that we previously thought was familiar. We're going to find out new things, and what we're going to discover is a little bit of rest and a little bit of peace in Jesus. And so if you have your Bibles and you're in Ecclesiastes um, chapter 3, we're going to start right with verse 1. I feel like I'm going to break this. It's a pretty winter flower, but I'm going to move it. Like that would be, it would shatter, and that would be awkward. And so winter can stay over there, and Jesus is going to stay right here. And I'm going to read these words from chapter 3, starting with verse 1. It says, There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. Okay, so like there is a time for everything. That's great. That's wonderful. But what does that actually really mean? That word time in scripture is Zetmon, and it doesn't just mean like any time or any season. It means a set time or a set season, a, a specifically appointed one. This is like an appointment, and if you up 15 minutes late, you're going to have to reschedule for another day kind of time. And who gets to appoint those times? The God of this universe. You and I don't determine when any of this stuff happens, but he does. And so right at the very beginning, on the heels of Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and 2, which are really depressing when you go back and read them, we get to know that there is a reason for all this, and it's a specific God-appointed reason, and so we get these words, there's a season, a time, an appointment for everything, every activity under the heavens, and here they are, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Maybe that time is today. Okay, a time is to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. I'm excited because on Wednesday, we're gonna go through every single one of these in the context of our Bible study and figure out what their context is in Jewish understanding because it's different for them than it is for us, but we can kind of on the outset just hover above that passage and look at three things that are really important, and they all relate to this. It's that everything in life, it's in your notes this morning, is within God's specific time, not your time, not my time, God's specific time. And all of these activities, they are a couple things for us. First, they're all inclusive. They're all inclusive. There's a poetic literary device here known as mirrorism, which I'm pretty pretty sure that I'm mispronouncing, but what it means is everything in between. And that the reason all of these opposites exist, birth and death, plant, harvest, kill, heal, like they exist to say it's not just those things that have an appointed time, but everything in between them also has an appointed time. It's not just our birth date and our death date, but everything that happens in between has an appointed time by who? God Almighty. It's all-inclusive of everything in life. He has crafted an order of the universe for himself. And the second is that they're completely neutral. Like every single one of these things, although we have seen people use and misuse this passage of Scripture to give themselves an excuse for war or an excuse for peace or an excuse for killing or an excuse for healing, none of those things matter because this passage of Scripture doesn't give us a prescription of anything but a description of everything in life. It's just information. It's not a proclamation of what's right and wrong. It's just saying, hey, this is life, such as it is, every single part of it has been appointed by God. And the final kind of understanding that you and I have to read this passage of Scripture with is that it's all outside our control. That we don't get to choose any of this. We don't get to determine any of this. We don't get to decide any of these time frames. Nothing is by chance. The universe does has order. And who said it there? God. It's within his specific time. Alistair Begg is a Scottish pastor and theologian. And I wish some days that I was because then my accent would be awesome. And people would want to listen regardless of what I had to say. But simply because I sounded good when I said it. But Alistair Begg says that there are 14 pluses and 14 minuses in this passage of Scripture and at the end of life, all they do is serve to cancel each other out. All this passage does is describe for us everything in life has a reason, has a season, has a purpose, and it's all under the control of God. Why everything? Because of Him. And so if you go down, we're going to skip One section and then go down to verse 14 and we're going to come back and highlight the section that we did. It's in your notes that way too concerning Ecclesiastes chapter 3 starting with verse 14. We discover that the reason everything in life is within God's specific time is because everything in life is under God's sovereign will. Verse 14 reads, I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. So everything about being born and dying, keeping and throwing away, tearing and mending, being silent and speaking out, loving and hating, war and peace, all of those things in between, God does it so that people will fear him. And we have a problem with that word because we don't like to think of ourselves as a people who are afraid. But what it means is this, Yah-Reh. It's the Hebrew word for honor, respect, revere, awe. God does it so that we will respect him. Honor him, revere him, have awe when we think of him. And you know who does that? Do you know who has honor and respect and reverence for the Lord? People who know him. People who know how big he is. People who know how powerful he is. People who know his role as creator and sustainer of all life. People who understand that Jesus is Savior. Those are the people that recognize and honor him as Lord. And so when we read this passage saying God does it so that people will fear him, that's the only right response from people who know him. God does all of this birth, death, and everything in between, so that we will know him. He goes on to say, whatever is has already been, and whatever will be has been before. God knows all the times and all the seasons, and God will call the past to account. And I, uh, Solomon writes, and I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there in the place of justice wickedness was there evil persists in the world even institutions that we assume should have everyone's best interest at heart at the end of the day are nothing but evil it's futile to look for righteousness in humanity and in human institutions so i said to myself god alone god god will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked for there will be a time for every activity a time to judge every deed I also said to myself, as for humans, God tests them so that they may see that they are like the animals. Surely the fate of human beings is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Humans have no advantage over animals. And that's true. Have you looked on Facebook and seen pets in this country? They kind of have it good. (laughs) He writes, everything is meaningless. All go to the same place. All come from dust, and to dust all return who knows if the human spirit rises upward and if the spirit of the animal goes down into the earth? So I saw that there is nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work because that is their lot. For who can bring them to see what will happen after them? He ends on a question and, and, and reminds us that our fate is really ultimately, if you consider that it's just ashes to ashes and dust to dust, not even better than animals. Why? Why in response to the world being wicked and, and asking the question about God's judgment we get a reminder of humility. A reminder of just how little we matter. It's a reminder not to take ourselves too seriously. It's a reminder to know that this is ultimately not about us. Everything in life is under God's sovereign will and it's ultimately so that every one of us in life can know him and fear him. Psalm 25, 14 reads, The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. If you read the New American Standard Bible, it says the secret of the Lord is for those who fear him. It's like God's got a secret to tell us. Our little boy Simon's four years old, and he's just discovered the art of secrets and whispering something into your ear. And so he calls us over and says, I got to tell you a secret. And you lean down and you don't know what it's going to be because he says, There's trouble downtown. And it's because he's a superhero and he's going to go and save the day. It doesn't matter if he's Batman, Superman, or PJ Masks, Catboy. Like he's going to go take care of business because there's trouble downtown. But it's okay because Simon's got this. The, The secret of this word is that there's trouble in the world. But it's okay because God's got this. It's all under his control, under his sovereign will. And there's a secret for us to discover And we only find it when we know him. The Lord confides in who? Those who fear him. Those who know who he is. That last section of Ecclesiastes 3 that we haven't read yet, is says, beginning in verse 9, what do workers gain from their toil? It's a summary of what he asked all through chapter 1 and chapter 2. Like, Why does any of this matter? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. Verse 11, it's one that we quote, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Another translation of that word beautiful would be appropriate, like perfect appointed time. He's made everything just right in its time. He has also, we quote this part, set eternity in the human heart. That means that we like to say that there's a God-shaped hole in us, that there's some kind of void missing in our life that our work and our pleasure and even earthly wisdom that we talked about in chapter 1 and chapter 2 can't satisfy because in the end there's something still missing and it's It's this. It's a thought about eternity. And we forget this last part because we don't like there to be parts that are hidden from our eyes. But it says, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. He's in control of it all. He's in control of it all, and everything he does should prompt us to trust him. If under the sun means that everything in this life is meaningless, and yet God has set eternity in the hearts of people, it means that we were made for something more than all of this. That the question that's burning in our hearts and the longing that's living in our lives Hoping for more than our work and our pleasure and our wisdom can give. Is a thought about eternity. Have you seen Jesus yet? It's like a surprise party, and he's he's hiding behind the sofa, ready to jump out and scream and scare us in the moment because he wants to be found. Have you seen him? He's right there. In eternity. First John chapter one verse two says. The life, that's Jesus, appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, that's Jesus, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. It's, it's Jesus. He's been here from the beginning. Jesus was there when land and sky and water separated He was there when animals first crawled and when fish first swam and when birds first flew. He was there walking in the cool of the garden with the first man and the first woman. He was witness to the fall. He was there from the beginning. He was there when Abraham was called and when Abraham laid his son Isaac down on an altar, he was there looking at the prophetic foreshadowing of that moment, knowing that his day would one day come. He was there when Moses was too tired to stand up, so he sat down on a rock and his friends had to hold up his hands so that Israel could advance. He was there when David was picking up five small smooth stones from a brook so that he could go and slay a giant. He was there when that David grew up and was coronated as king over Israel. He was also there on the rooftop when that David was falling down to sin. Scripture continues. Because we don't just find Jesus in in Luke chapter 2 when he was born and rocked by his mother. We find Jesus in Luke chapter 1 when the angel visited her to tell him that Jesus was coming. We don't just find Jesus in the words that he spoke in life or the miracles that he did in life. We don't just find Jesus hanging on a cross, dying to save our lives. We don't just find Jesus rising up in a tomb and ascending back to heaven, going back to the glory from which he came. You and I find Jesus everywhere here too because we know that Jesus was there when you and I were knit together in the wombs of our mothers. That Jesus is also there when we have our first broken bones and when we experience our first broken hearts. That's when Jesus was there. He's been there from the beginning and he remains there today. He's there for every single friendship. He's there for every single backstab. He's there for every single reconciliation. And he is there in the moments of our life when we remain estranged. Promising us that although people in this world will leave us, he never He's there for every acceptance letter and also every one of rejection. He's there for your very first job and your very first car and the keys to your very first house. He's also there in the room when you're cursing life because you can no longer find those keys. He's there when you take sacred vows. He's there when you break sacred vows. He's here ready to help you Mend the breaking of those sacred vows. He was there for Susan and I when we saw that very first plus sign. He was there in the doctor's office when the heartbeat wasn't. He was there when kids finally came and he was there when the diagnosis was not far behind. He is there. He's there across an ocean with a mother who watches her baby close its eyes For what will be the last time, because there's no food in its stomach. He's there with the really young girl in a dark, dirty room being harmed by a darker, dirtier man. He's there for the tens of thousands of young girls. He's there for people wandering from one place to another because they have no country and they have no home. He's there when you and I decide to rise up in obedience to that word and do something about all of those atrocities. He's, he's there when there's plenty and those Disney wristbands arrive in the mail. He's also there when there's not and the bills are piling up and there's no bills to satisfy them all. He was there when every single word in this book was being written and ultimately it's because he's the one who penned them, he is here whenever you and I close our eyes and bow our heads and pray that mercifully the Holy Spirit of God will help us Understand them. He's Alpha, Omega, beginning and end. He has been there from eternity. He will be there until eternity. At an appointed time, He came, and at another appointed time, He will come again. A predetermined time, a preset time that only the Father knows. Jesus will come back to collect for Himself people who know and fear God. We are called to be people who find Jesus then, and we are called to be people who seek him now. Why? Because Monday morning is better when you know Jesus better. Because somehow opening up these words of eternal life giving us moments when we are challenged by God and surprised by God to see Jesus so that we can be in awe of God, help us identify with Christ so that the longing of eternity in our heart will be satisfied by him and by him alone. Meaning in life and eternity after life are only found in Jesus and we can trust him because he was there from the beginning he was author from beginning he is perfecter from the beginning I'm committed to not talk about the book of Ecclesiastes unless I talk a lot about Jesus and, and the best place in the book of Ecclesiastes at least in my understanding To find him is skipping ahead to chapter 12, verse 11. It sums up the book and it says, the words of the wise are like goads. And I told the people in Bible study on Wednesday that I had to look up that word because I didn't know what it meant. A goad is a cattle prod steering the herd in the right direction. The words of the wise are like goads. They may be painful for us, but they're good for us because they steer us in the right direction. And So we read these words, and we know that they are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. And we read about shepherds a lot in the Bible, and we encounter shepherds a lot in the Bible because it was a common vocation back in the Bible. But every time you read about a single shepherd, you're reading about Jesus. So that these words of the wise that serve as goads, these words of the wise that are embedded nails in the framework of humanity, it doesn't matter whether or not they're words from a wise king named Solomon. Ultimately, they are words from the wise king named Jesus. And why are they there? So that people will fear him so that we will stand in awe and reverence and honor of the Lord Almighty who put a thought about eternity on our hearts, made us curious and wonder what more is there in life, and then answered the question with his own son and self, Jesus. My hope that the application point of a message like this is that you and I would find Jesus in these words so that we can follow Jesus out in the world. We don't have to understand everything that's happening under the sun in order to trust the one who does. And ultimately, that's the invitation to place our trust in Jesus. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the service and we want to encourage you to reflect on today's message throughout the week. Here at Rolling Hills, our goal is to raise up a community of disciples to be the hands and feet of Christ. And we hope that you will partner with us in doing so. How do you do that? Well, here are several ways. First, join us every Sunday, either online or at one of our physical locations. Join us as we worship our God and learn more about Him and His plan for us. Second, get connected. Check out our next steps page on the site to find out how you can engage with us further by serving or joining a community group. And lastly, we want to invite you to partner with us financially. You can do that online through the giving section of our site. All tithes and offerings go to support our ministries, both locally and internationally, enabling us to impact lives and share God's word. Again, we are so glad you joined us today. Have a great week.